game day just eat and if you don't know how to eat or you don't think you can eat then then work with someone to actually you know do that gut training and establish a plan and just persevere there is I've had so many athletes say I can't eat there's foods that it will work like if you can't stomach anything I promise you you can stomach a crumpet or start with two dates you know there are there are options to get something in your food your stomach so you can actually perform better on game day um, and then my other pet hate is assuming things are going to be provided. I think that's really dangerous as an athlete. Um, mm-hmm. Always have your own emergency snacks and try and keep your pre-game nutrition consistent. So once you figure out what works for you, then stick with it. So then game day, you don't have to think about your food at all. You can just focus on what's ahead. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Peter Courage. She's currently the consultant of the New South Wales State of Origin men's team and our key topic for today's chat around how to periodize for different energy demands depending on the sport and the athletes so for parents of young athletes athletes and high performance staff definitely stick around if you've got any questions for those tuning in live feel free to hit us up in the comment section but thanks for jumping on peter we had a good chat up off air just before i'm looking forward to even diving into more detail uh, probably covered a bit too much of the five minutes pre-chat but yeah looking forward to it hopefully i can simplify this what can be seen as a complicated topic Absolutely, and it's gathered some good interest already leading up to the show. I know some people have reached out wanting to listen to this chat because, like you said, it is quite complex, but as Watsy finally put it off, off air, as you mentioned earlier in the week, you can keep it pretty simple. Well, I guess with anything in high-performance sport and dealing with athletes, you can make it pretty complex or complicated if you want to. But before we dive into the good stuff, for those that aren't aware of your work, do you mind providing a bit of a background on everything you've done so far and you know, how you got into being a into dietetics, I guess, with high-performing athletes? Yeah, so I probably fluked it a little bit with my degrees. I actually did, just wanted to do exercise science. So I did the Bachelor of Science Human Movements degree, qualified ex-phys. But then my brother said that won't get you a job and look, it wouldn't have back then. And so I just picked the dual degree with dietetics and then that kind of spat me into sports dietetics really nicely. So, and I really liked back then, my brothers played professional football and I loved hearing the stories of them learning how to cook and they'd call mom back in the day and be like oh my gosh I learned how to make this and so it's funny that I have those memories of when I was really young and then that's literally now what I do is teach athletes how to cook so they can you know prepare for all their training but also life after footy so that's how I ended up here and I think growing up with footballers I can tolerate that environment yeah yeah. (laughs) so I think that has probably helped if you've ever worked in that environment, as you do, you understand. And then, look, definitely my background is in league. So I've worked in professional NRL teams since 2005 and um, quite a few, which sounds embarrassing, but I've actually been you know, I was at Manly for seven years and Broncos for seven years and I've consulted to Origin since the, this is like eighth year, I think. So some of those longstanding, but then obviously a few other little consulting roles along the way consulted to GWS, working with a junior dietitian there, which was amazing, and Australian Rugby Sevens, men and women, for seven years are probably 
the big the big teams of ticked off and now just I'm consulting to lots of different teams but I suppose my main role is with some individual athletes which I was chatting to is a little bit new and different yeah. with me and trying to balance that with a bit of teamwork as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah, a great spread of individual athletes, men and women, different ages as well. For for those, for the, I guess for dietitians that are listening in, or even yeah, you know, like you mentioned, exercise science, sports science. Like, how have you found as an effective way to sort of build up your networks and get op- get opportunities like you have? I guess um, definitely. Look, I did start volunteering when I was at uni before I graduated, and I think that definitely helps. And then you just need that experience. And I think the key thing is that sport is really small. Like, as you said, we know so many of the same people didn't know each other directly. But once you're in that industry, you need to be really careful of not burning any bridges and trying to get along with as many people as you you possibly can because that industry is small and people move around. So, you know, I've been at, what, four different league teams. And so... You know, if you make a good connection, then they might recommend you somewhere else along the way. So really try and foster those contacts that you do make and stay in contact with those people that you do get along with. Yeah, you never know where it might lead you. Well said. I guess there's an element, it's easy to say once you've been doing it for a few years, but would you say sort of like, would you prepare yourself to do a good job at one place rather than spreading yourself thin over many? Or how do you sort of do it? I've always, I think in sports dietetics, I shouldn't laugh. In sports dietetics, traditionally we spread ourselves thinly. And I, yeah, I, don't know. I guess part-time geeks, you sort of, you sort of have to, don't you? You kind of do. Well, we're, we're rarely full-time. I was full-time at, at nights, but across still way too many teams. So was, yeah. So I still felt even in a full-time role, I was spread too spread thinly. Yeah. But that's just the nature of, of my industry. I definitely think... There's as the profession is growing and opportunities with you know the Olympics coming up. I know a lot of the dietitians are actually doing like less teams and and trying to put some time and effort. And the profession itself is appointing leads within each sport, so we're really streamlining and becoming a little bit more specialised in our different sports, which is great to see the profession yeah. really progress that way. So and and it's also exciting. And has that come largely? Do you think from people like yourself have been in the industry and have seen how it can be in terms of spreading yourself thin and even if you do get a full-time job you're, you're, you're across everyone or has it come from coaches and players the demand from the from their perspective where their things could be better I think the demand is coming from like the teams and the coaches that the the demand is there so then also it's an opportunity for us to specialize and consolidate our skills a bit more but also you know what I think the biggest transition has been to allow us to collaborate and work within like an athletics team or a league team or an AFLW you know AFL dietitians is actually IT you know so I think actually you know the zooms and having better internet and able to share resources as, as I, I've definitely seen a big shift in like just the last five years in our profession is that we're collaborating more. Well, some some groups are doing it better than other, others. Mm. Lick is actually not great at it. Collaborating more and being more efficient with our time. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. Exciting time to, to get into the industry. And in terms of going back to your career, what about some strong influences or mentors, if you like, that have sort of helped shape your philosophy? Yeah, I was really lucky to be mentored by Holly Frail, who was like, she was like Broncos opened with a sports dietitian, which is just crazy. And they've had one ever since. And she's 
been around for 20 years. And then in Sydney, I worked closely with Dr. Helen O'Connor, who's unfortunately passed away, but she was really influential in pushing me in Sydney and also making sure I was aware of what experience I was bringing to teams and to Sydney teams. So they're the, like two amazing sports dietitians that, you know, basically created roles in a very much male dominated industry male-dominated sport and have, have like led the way and now I'm just scrambling basically to hopefully continue some of what they've achieved and I think there's lots of S&Cs that I've worked with along the way that have you know it's been just great to work with them and learn from them. Yeah going back to what you mentioned earlier that original the original path you took with the Bachelor of Sports Science on exercise stream and there probably probably hasn't changed. There's still not many jobs, but if you know, has there been a moment in your career where you thought you'd get back into that path of high performance sport from a strategy point of view, or have you since you? Yeah, I've been talking to what's you were talking about before. I'm like, I have to get. I probably regret not doing that earlier, only because I used to love, and that's why I also loved full time roles because I had more time to be around the training, and yeah. I think that's as sports dietitians where we the hallway conversations is sometimes where we have our biggest impact on athletes. So if you have the capacity within your sport to be around training or if I, if I could help out, which, you know, it's some teams have been able to assist the S&Cs. So, yeah, I probably regret not formalising just doing my level one back in the day, also because I didn't realise how much of a journey or how much I was going to progress into the women's space, where I think if you can be an S&C slash sports dietitian in that role, gosh, you're going to have a huge yeah. impact. But also, I think there's going to be lots of roles coming available. So, yeah, I've been talking to Watsi. I'm like, I need to do that. But then is that just me spreading myself thinly, like more thinly? And, yeah, but I, absolutely, I, I do. And the Canberra dietitian is an S&C slash dietitian. So there are a couple of roles available. Uh, I think it's a great way to get into sport, especially in the female athlete space. Makes so much sense, right? Like you're looking after their gym mm. loads, on-field loads, and then you're being able to help with, yeah, optimizing their progress from not only body composition but fueling for performance, and yeah, yeah. And like when you've got more context because the athletes are seeing is so much more contact time with the athletes. Exactly, it does get probably a bit difficult to maintain like all the PD hours r- around it, and so I can also see why some people want to separate it. But in those smaller roles coming available now, I think it would be a really good combination to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And highlights of your career that you you reflect on or spring in front of mind that you're proud of? Probably I'm really proud of establishing sports nutrition roles in teams where they previously have never had one or hadn't had one for 10 years and they're still going. But uh, look, the Australian Rugby Sevens being the first, like, first time they compete in the Olympics, gold medal, I had friends that I'd played touch with my whole life in the team and then... Like, I, I don't think anything will beat that, really. And also being the first full-time female contact sport to train full-time. So just the amount that I learned personally in that seven years, I yeah, no one can take that away from me. And there's still not really any, you know, there's no full-time program elsewhere. It's, it's just that one, really, with the female space. The rest is still semi-professional, you would say. So... Yeah, I don't think I could really go past that as career highlights, really. And then, yeah, working with Origin's been pretty good. That first Origin that, you know, Freddie coached and they won the first year was pretty special as well. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, some great highlights there. And How about on the flip side moments, like obviously elite sport comes a lot of pressure. 
how do you find like what have been some moments where you've sort of been stretched and how have you sort of grown from those situations or what have you learned from them I guess oh gosh I think it's really hard because we are often doing lots of different jobs as a sports dietitian to, to juggle that and almost periodize our own work and, and be able to prioritize what's what's literally the priority at, at every point in time and and sometimes that's even athletes being able to prioritize athletes times I've found really hard is when when coaches have told me not to you know assist certain athletes because I at the end of the day we're 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 health we're health professionals you know we've actually fall under as much as we work with performance we actually fall under medical so I've most of the time I've ignored the coaches and still supported those athletes so they've said look they're on the way out and sometimes those athletes have gone on to be extremely successful elsewhere but I've found that morally really challenging because I think yeah we still have that health we're going to help everyone so I didn't really expect that coming into sport to be told not to not to help certain individuals and then it's just the relationships within big sports teams. There's a lot of people you need to be able to liaise with, communicate with, and once again, they're not skills you're told, and you don't always have, you don't always work the same as everyone in a in a big team environment like that. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make. It like I guess that's something that you do learn on the job. And do you find you learn through being in those situations and working with different personalities, or is it more of leaning on your your mentors or is it speaking to people in your in your environment yeah how do you find i guess if you're dealing with a, a different sort of challenging situation or a challenging person to work with how do you find some ways to yeah oh gosh lots of wine no you just you do <laughs> i think the best thing is actually having those those colleagues that work in teams or in similar roles to anyone that you're having issues with to consult with outside of your team did i explain that correctly you know, so just because sometimes they're just coming from different different perspectives and you're actually not understanding where they're coming from or they've got different priorities to who you've worked with previously, right? Because there's, there's someone in that team dynamic that often changes every year. Like how often in professional sport are you keeping the same lot of colleagues together? Like not really much beyond the, what, two years, if you're yeah. lucky. So I think that that is like a challenge for everyone in this space and, and it changes, you know, it changes that dynamic. And I think too, when you have someone that you work really well with, I think really appreciate it and, and enjoy that situation because it, it does, it can change quite frequently in professional sport. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, we better move into the key topic, but thank you for sharing, getting insight into what you've done and, and also what it takes to, to work in elite sport. I guess first one, just to sort of open up and give the listeners a bit of an understanding. Can you explain what periodization is and how it relates um, from a nutrition perspective for, for athletes? So periodization is basically the combination of nutrition and exercise often, or it can be solely nutrition, but it's often the combination of nutrition and exercise, how to optimize the adaptation of the athletes. So I suppose historically, you know, you would be periodizing the type of training and then how your nutrition matches that type of training to optimize the outcomes. And uh, it used to be just of the musculoskeletal system, but it's all, now we know like physiological brain, everything. Like we can periodize certain times, types of training with nutrition and the training that they're doing to help all different outcomes. I think that's a basic explanation. And then when we talk about nutrition periodization, I suppose that's more what you would do in a one-on-one situation or where you're not 
So if someone's coming to see me in private practice, I can't really, if I don't have a relationship with what their programming is, I'd be periodizing their nutrition based on what they're telling me. So it's kind of like nutrition and a bit more isolation, which still is spoken about as nutrition periodization. And one of the listeners has sent through a question, Vaughan. Vaughan Stewart, what are some challenges you have with tailoring intake for various individuals within a team? Yeah, it can be really difficult in a team environment. And I think that if you talk about, I suppose, if I take that a step back, Vaughan, if you're talking about periodization, you've spoken about like macro cycles, and this is all, this is how my brain works, macro cycles, micro cycles, and then you have the individual athlete you need to consider, and then you might have body composition goals as well. So your macro cycles might be like your preseason might be broken into like a big, obviously aerobic block or, and then finish with a three week lactate block. So that might be considered like a macro cycle. But then within that, the strength might be someone might be doing hypertrophy within that as well. And then micro, I think of more as like the weekly schedule. So making sure you're periodizing nutrition based on the weekly schedule or down to like the daily in some more individual athletes, but team athletes. And then you've got the individual you need to consider across both of those cycles. And then then if the individual has body composition goals. And why is that why that is difficult is because you need to know in a team setting there's often food provided. So you need to factor that in. And then you need to make sure the individual has enough flexibility within what's provided and what they're providing for themselves to meet their individual needs. But you achieve that in the team environment with like obviously writing meal plans what food they're preparing for themselves, if they need to bring in extra food. And then also a great way to individualize in the team environment is how you use your supplements. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, thanks for sending through Vaughn. If you've got any follow-up questions, feel free to comment them through. You mentioned like giving, sort of educating the athletes so they can make their own decisions themselves and also providing some examples of what success looks like with a meal plan. Where do you sort of see the balancing act with that for particularly your developing athletes that simply just come to you and and ask i just want every meal mapped out for every day of the week yeah how do you sort of find that switch on between there, sort of making their own decisions and preparing meals themselves but they're also i guess learning on what success looks like from a nutrition point of view well i think that's almost the way the professional teams are set up now a lot almost too many of their meals are provided for them so they're actually not learning how to what's in it like how much am i actually eating so they're probably not learning enough of those skills, but I might be biased. But it is a good place to start, but then making sure you're actually doing those life skills behind the scenes. So if they if they are having everything provided and now there's frozen meals and delivery like HelloFresh, so they're just not thinking for themselves but making sure you're actually doing those life skill education, teaching them to cook, teaching them to shop outside of that. So then when you they become able to individualize a little bit more or interested to individualize their nutrition a bit more they've got the skills to go with it mm-hmm. yeah makes sense and and you discussed looking at the macro in terms of the physical demand on the, on the athletes and, and the phases they're going through from an aerobic point of view and then taking into account when they're going through a lactate phase what would be some of the differences when you're dealing sort of with endurance endurance sports compared to more power based sports or power based athletes yeah, so the endurance sports, obviously, just they've got significantly higher carbohydrate requirements. You know, in the theory, you know, the protein is, is spread across the day based on your, your muscle mass, kilograms per muscle mass, which can be easily individualized. 
But your endurance athletes, they need to be fueling before and during their sessions and then require a lot more to even recover from their sessions. And then you might have some look at, you also need to be doing gut training with your endurance athletes as well. So you might have a phase, I've got one athlete at the moment progressing to marathons and we've got nine weeks to do some serious gut training because they need to actually train their guts to absorb carbohydrates at a high enough rate to support their energy output. Also, your endurance athletes down at the mitochondrial level are able to process and have a higher rate of carbohydrate use. So I think that's one thing too with your, you know, when you are looking at, it's really hard to describe. I'm very visual. So like, I feel like I should have like mapped out an example of a periodization of a team. But when you are even doing like a, a team and then how I say you've got some macro and the micro cycles, but then you've got to factor in the individuals, you do have to then consider like your older athletes, they tend to be able to do break down carbohydrate or utilize carbohydrate more efficiently because they've been training for longer. So they often have higher energy requirements overall. So you need to factor your individual athletes in even when you are looking at a team plan. So it can be quite complicated, but I think that's where if you do have someone that knows what they're doing and has worked with a team of athletes or certain athletes for a bit of time, it becomes easier and easier. Mm. And you mentioned gut training. That I don't think I've, I've sort of heard of that term before, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What would that look like, like for an athlete? You know, you mentioned this six-week block, I think. Like, what, how does that change over the six weeks? And Yeah, we've got eight doing? weeks, thankfully. So, like, we're, we're starting with just uh, figuring out how much power rate she can absorb and, in, in, like, running flat out. <laughs> so, how much right. is actually getting in so then we can calculate how much carbohydrate she's getting from carbohydrate and then adding in gels, your lower carbohydrate gels initially. We might be having them, you know, every 10K initially. But then the goal is to be able for her to have them every 5K in a higher carbohydrate gel. So it's literally training your gut to absorb the carbohydrate that you're putting in whilst training at an intense level. And that's like the extreme of it. We're talking like, you know, world level endurance athlete. Versus if you tell that back to football athletes, I also had a client today who's not eating enough simply on game day. So we were doing a modified version of, of gut training to make sure he can absorb food better leading up to and before training, you know, so starting really small and slowly increasing it. So then we can have a, a specific nutrition plan for game day and then also start training his gut, starting with, we were literally starting with water and four jelly beans and then progressing to Powerade and four jelly beans and then more Powerade and more lollies and possibly a gel at half time. So that gut training can be applied to a lot of athletes playing team versus, you know, the endurance sport. But I think we, I suppose it's, it's how you educate the athletes around that. So the dietitians are probably doing it without explaining it to the athletes of, of this is how we're going to progress things. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes a lot of sense. It's it's just like training, right? Like Yeah. Back from, yeah. And yeah. With Your stomach's a muscle. You can train it. Your stomach's a muscle. Yeah. So with parents listening in to maybe some younger athletes or perhaps developing athletes, and they're hearing this and they're, you know, so do you use training as sort of your laboratory and experiment things like you mentioned with gels, maybe some other listeners that haven't used gels before? or uh, Absolutely. Yeah, sure. And that ties back to like your big nutrition periodization. So you might have like times where you need to, so you might be you looking at your fueling with your big period. I'm talking football seasons now, I should say. So you're looking at your fueling. And what you need to prioritize there. But also, if you're looking at a football preseason or in the season, you're also looking at when you need to do your trials. So, 
you know, after Christmas in that window is usually when I'm doing my hydration trials and fluid balance tests because you've got to be able to, and you're, you're starting your gut training if you may have started a bit earlier, but you need to allow time in training to get your, make sure every athlete has a game day plan that is appropriate and high enough in carbohydrates or appropriate hydration. So you also need to factor those things into like the big block. And in my head, that is still periodized nutrition. But yes, you need to trial everything in training. The difficult thing is with your carbohydrate intake and sometimes even your fluid intake is you need to pick your intense sessions. So you need to optimize your intense sessions because your game is the obviously, or competition is your you know highest intensity, biggest energy output. So sometimes you don't want people to trial nutrition interventions on their- Recovery day. Yeah, recovery day or team run, which is pretty light. You need to actually target specific sessions that replicate games. Yep, makes sense. And what about uh, caffeine? Like what's sort of your approach to- for an athlete that's interested to help their yeah, game day performance. Use it. it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Caffeine's one of the supplements a lot of teams and individual athletes use. But once again, you're just going to make sure you've trialed it. And look, we know it works physiologically and it has a, a psychological positive impact at reducing your perceived effort if, when you take it at the correct dose. But I think it's important to know that you do have people that are responders and non-responders. So Sometimes people need less than what they think. Um, And then the other thing to consider is just our intake from coffee. So one thing I'll do with my football athletes is actually, you know, I'll move around the time that they actually have their coffee drinks. So then we can time if they're actually going to have caffeine for the game. Or we would put like some of my smaller athletes, like female footballers, will actually just use a coffee and get that like and have that on the bus leading to the game. So you do need to factor in because we're quite big habitual coffee drinkers in Australia and that's the hard thing because of the times of games that is a hard thing to actually practice is that balance of caffeine from a supplement and the caffeine from drinks because the game times are often you know in the evening so that is a really hard thing to practice so having a bit of trial and error with a few games is worthwhile in that instance Um, look caffeine works but also when I have done I did do a double blind crossover yeah that's right back in the day and I got in a lot of trouble for riding it up but that's not why I did it and you do have some athletes we had from memory Tim Gilbert's going to kill me because I don't remember it off the top of my head but there was a percentage of athletes that their performance actually deteriorated so yes we know it works for certain people but don't assume that it's going to work for you and pop it you know before a big game because you're feeling a bit flat because some athletes actually became like over aroused. And we had one athlete I remember that didn't catch a ball the whole session. And the coach That's was right. like, do not let him ever take that again. So it, or it made them feel really sick. So it doesn't work for everyone. Thus, it is important to actually trial it in a, in a game like situation when you can. And with that, like I imagine like all listeners aren't going to be lucky enough to have a dietitian to work with so when they're when they're trying these things out how what's your sort of sample size to work out if you are a responder and you're not is it and, and, and how important is the dosage obviously if you have a massive amount of caffeine and you've never had caffeine before i imagine everyone's going to have an element of that not working too well for you so how do you sort of yeah work out oh, i'm just not a caffeine I, I don't respond well to caffeine or did i just get my prep wrong in terms of what you mentioned with i caffeine. think if you if you dose at a reasonable amount i mean it's three milligrams per kilogram is a fair bit but some people do respond 
you should know by having a coffee if you're a responder or non-responder. Um, so and so basically, that doesn't mean that if you're a non-responder, it often means you need a higher amount of caffeine, and it still might be a performance enhancement, but you might not notice it. So that's where it's hard. So you know, whereas if you are in a team and you've got GPS data, someone else might actually pick up and say, actually, your high speed meters were ten percent higher than any other game. Does that make sense? So non-responders might will still possibly get a benefit, but they might not notice it. And your responders are the ones that often need slightly less caffeine. And if they've ever had a coffee, they would probably know that. And they're also the ones that can sometimes be tipped over like and have a negative impact. Um, yep. That makes sense. So you yeah, can both benefit from it at a physiological is just actually how you notice that might be different. Yep. yep. And it sounds like it's pretty straightforward. You'll, you'll know when you're healthy. Yep. What about, what, what are some common mistakes, I guess, when it comes to nutrition and how can athletes sort of avoid those mistakes, I guess, if we stick with game day preparation and game day performance? Game day, just eat. And if you don't know how to eat or you don't think you can eat, then then work with someone to actually, you know, do that gut training and establish a plan and just persevere. There is, I've had so many athletes say, I can't eat. There's foods that it will work. Like if you can't stomach anything, I promise you, you can stomach a crumpet or start with two dates. You know, there are there are options to get something in your food, your stomach, so you can actually perform better on game day. Um, and then my other pet hate is assuming things are going to be provided. I think that's really dangerous as an athlete. Um, always have your own emergency snacks and try and keep your pre-game nutrition consistent. So once you figure out what works for you, then stick with it. So then game day, you don't have to think about your food at all. You can just focus on what's ahead, what the coach is telling you, your warm-up, etc., because our body does like consistency in that regard. And the best athletes I've worked with are the ones that have the same thing religiously, you know, before each game and they know what works with them. So then they can just focus on the task at hand. But at the younger levels, please don't ever assume that there's going to be, you know, a, a tuck shop open or, you know, that there's going to be fruit provided and always pack your own. That really grinds my gears. Maybe that's just some generation coming through, but Always be prepared for the worst and hope for the best, I suppose, when it comes to food because your performance, we know, is going to be negatively impacted if you don't have that food on hand. Yeah, that's amazing. Hopefully the athletes listening, if you haven't already, get out the journals and start noting down down these gems. What about from from your perspective, how do you ensure that your athletes are well-fueled going into training and, and competition? I think that's a little bit hard because I suppose I hope my athletes all have a plan. But then also I really like the fact that if they have a backup as well. So they, most of my athletes would definitely have like a training plan and a, and a game day plan. But then also I suppose in our role as a sports dietitian, when we're working with teams, we often control the menus. So we can control what food is provided in the lead up to make sure that, you know, the dinners are a little bit more higher carbohydrate or you might have more frequent meals on game day and change like the type of fiber and type of bread that's available. So they've got more opportunity to eat a little bit more with lower fiber options. So I suppose at a certain level, you can control it from like a, a food provision um, way. And but then also hopefully making sure they've got an individual plan and also always having a backup. That like <laughs> have to have emergency snacks on them. Yeah, you're ready for it, for anything to be thrown your way or wherever and you get the, to play. The other big error, which I find, especially with individual athletes, is 
if they need to be consuming carbohydrates during a session and they say, yeah, yeah, I had a Powerade. And then I'm like, yep, yeah, was it sugar-free? And they go, oh, yeah, like sugar-free Powerades do not count as carbohydrates during a session. So that's another mistake I see a lot on, you know, game days and in big training sessions. They grab Powerades and don't, you actually need the sugar during, you know, big sessions and games. And is that from the point of view of like using that energy for performance or is it energy? Yeah, from an energy perspective. Yeah. 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 And what about um, when periodizing nutrition? What's the different major differences for men and women? I think it's quite a few differences. I think, as I said uh, earlier, like there's not many full time female sports, they're still somewhat semi professional. So, first and foremost, their, their training times are really different. So that needs to be considered. So they're often still training at nighttime after work. So they're longer days. They're time poor. So their periodization, you know, it actually, you know, rather than actually focusing on them meeting their energy needs, it might come down to actually what can I eat quickly when I get home at 9.30 at night after dinner. So you need a lot more practical support for women because there's a very small portion that are training as full-time athletes. Their energy requirements are less. Let's face it, they're smaller humans. That makes sense. But the big difference is their protein requirements. I say this in the sense I've already said that the proteins, you know, can be calculated is the same. But generally speaking, the well, from experience, men always hit the hit their protein requirements. Okay, their total protein requirements, you know, is number one and. I've never worked with a male athlete that's not meeting their protein requirements. Their distribution might be off, their timing might be off, but they're meeting their total protein requirements. With females, they might be less likely to actually hit their total protein requirements, but also because they don't have testosterone, that protein distribution across the day is a lot more important because they really need to rely on that protein to help them recover from as they're doing more of these back-to-back sessions because they don't have testosterone. So I think that's something that's really important and something to consider when you're working with female athletes and then the timing of that if they're, they're not actually, you know, training within that nine to five window. And then I think the supplements we use with females and men is very different. Like I definitely don't rely on supplements as much because they have smaller energy budgets. So if you're thinking like, you know, say this is a female energy budget, if we throw two protein shakes into the day, that's going to blow their energy budget. So with a smaller energy budget, we still need to meet their protein requirements, but they also need to meet their nutrient requirements. So using food to recover is, is, is much more important with females, whereas males, you can add in extra energy through a lot more supplements and not worry about it because their protein budget is just, I mean, their protein and energy budget is just so much bigger. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's definitely, I, I personally use a lot more food first. And then your supplements might vary as well a little bit, but that's due to multiple reasons, like uh, females respond slightly different to some things, but also just because of where they are in their training age. You know, we're dealing with females that have a a smaller training age to men, so you might not be using the ergogenic aid straight away. And on that with supplements what or and food as well, what are your sort of your favorite recovery foods and supplements? I guess there's a lot of athletes probably listening in season at the moment where recovery, especially early in the week, is is really important. Do you have supplements? Really important. Look, I think a really good quality WPI, like a whey protein, is, is really handy. And I might use that differently with males and females. So females I might get them to add it to their food to make sure they're getting hitting their protein and getting that protein distribution. 
whereas a male might have it in isolation. But I think that's one thing that most athletes really need and, and can use that to help them recover. The Going back to what I mentioned, with I think a lot of athletes are misusing or not using at the right time or getting enough of your carbs and electrolytes and getting that timing right around competition and making sure you're getting enough carbs, you know, at that half time and before and after games. And that then adequate carbohydrates for recovery is what helps reduce our muscle soreness as well. So I think that's often missed that step in the in the amount of carbohydrates you need post games to, to really replace those glycogen stores that you've depleted. Hopefully you've depleted if you've played really hard. And then I'm a big fan of creatine. I would very much always individualize that, but I think now working with a lot of sprinters and you know, those power athletes, I feel like it is somewhat underutilized and it is one that is safe for women that I think women have always avoided. But traditionally, women actually tend to have lower natural creatine stores in their muscles than men. So you potentially get better outcomes or better results or bigger in- impact. And I know with all my sprinters, with even like CNS fatigue, they really notice that creatine really helps with any of those power power athletes. And I think in football teams, that's where that supplement could be really individualized to help certain positions perform better. Yeah, is, is with that, uh, is similar to caffeine, there's responders and non-responders and also how do you sort of cycle it on and off with athletes that are in season? Or with- so creatine, I would, I would use it in season at specific times if there was different goals. So definitely if athletes that are having a hypertrophy block or if they're working on speed, then that's when I would use it. As far as responders or non-responders, there's probably usually two in every team. It, it does cause a lot of swelling in or they don't respond, but it's actually got a pretty small percentage of athletes that you know can't tolerate creatine. And then in season, so I might have some specific athletes within a team setting, you know, on it possibly all season long if they're like a power speed athlete, you know, the type with the fast twitch fibers, you know, those athletes, they might be on it. Uh, all season long but then also I would also be putting on the back end of the season when you're more likely or during say origin period when you've got athletes that have higher workloads coming about or the intensity goes up because creatine also helps prevent disuse muscle atrophy so if you can't get in you know as as quality gym sessions or your older athletes at the back end of the season when they start to lose muscle mass that's when you want to prevent that from happening so you might go hard with creatine at that phase of the season as well yeah and for the athletes listening in that are yeah do play team sport they're in season perhaps seven weeks into their season at the moment in that weekly routine what from a micro point of view how should you t- what would be sort of your big rocks from early part of the week where you're recovering you're playing saturday to saturday and then leading up to game day how you're sort of yeah, looking after your carbohydrates and your protein and then yeah, yeah, your more micronutrients as well. What, what would be some big areas to focus on and how to sort of flow the workbook? Yeah, absolutely. So I think making sure you know in advance the actual, you know, your plan for the week. So what your, look, your week looks like, making sure you're on top of that and making sure you're eating enough. I suppose it's hard to start from game. So yes, you're going to have a game plan now. So you're going to nail that. You're going to nail your carbohydrates at halftime. But it's your post game. You need to make sure a you're getting your your your, your big rocks of protein spread out across that 24 hours. But a, a lot of carbohydrates in that 24 hours post game as well. That's where a lot of athletes don't really tick that box. And then going into your day off, making sure that's where you focus on your protein. 
and gain all your vegetable and you, your colors in to help you actually recover at the, the health level. And then you need to know what your bigger training days are and make sure you're prepared for those and have your extra little snacks or your extra pieces of fruit so you're getting adequate nutrition on your bigger training days. Yeah, that's basically how, how, how I do it. But I think where people go wrong is that 24 hours post-game and then what happens is then they're playing catch-up on their day off or eating crap and takeaway. And that's yeah. when you can see negative impacts on someone's body composition creeping in that accumulate over a season rather than going hard in that 24 hours, then you eat really clean on your days off and focus on your protein distribution and colour on those days. But you need to know your schedule ahead. I think that's something simple. And also don't be scared for athletes to ask the SNCs or ask your coaches what are the bigger sessions. You know, they often rock up and don't know or get like, you know, fitness testing or random things thrown on them. I think most coaches and most SNCs would be pretty stoked if athletes were asking those questions so they can prepare better. Whereas I think they don't think of, you know, those simple things that they can do. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for and that's a good way to start it is that, that game day plan, treating your days off and then also what we're working out what when your main training days are. From a hydration point of view, what would be some sort of basic tips to, to make sure you're maximizing your week? Yeah, I think it just I think generally speaking, people are getting better and better with hydration. But my basic rule of thumb is just make sure you're drinking with your meals so you actually absorb it and you're more likely to retain the fluid. And that leads into like game day rules as well. I always say just if you're drinking every time, you're going to be eating quite frequently on game day. So then if you're always drinking when you eat, your hydration should be fine as long as you're not chasing dehydration. <laughs> and just know your own color of your urine. You know, like know what, what hydration or hydrated urine looks like for you and be aware of that. The times where it gets, you know, where you have to actually think about it a little bit more is when you're changing environment so you go into a hot humid condition to play then obviously increase your electrolytes consciously increase your fluid and then also this time that we're in now jack is a little bit dangerous when we've just had a cold snap because everyone's fluid intake really drops off and because they just don't feel like it all of a sudden so just having some tools up up your sleeve about having a couple more cups of tea or drinking boiled water whatever you need to do but just be aware of when that that change to winter occurs often people's water intake drops off as well what are some signs like where athletes might be overhydrating going into game day well if there's high if you're doing hydration testing then obviously you can check with that but it's, it's if your urine is coming out like clear and your or you're up you know three times the night before going to the toilet then you're, you're overhydrating you don't want that hydration to impact your sleep and recovery yeah so they're probably the two biggest signs yeah yeah, I think that's the easiest way to know. And definitely, I think it's probably more, in, that's another thing in females. Like traditionally, female athletes are really good at hydrating slash might fall on the overhydrating side of things. So it's a good way to check is that how much you're waking up during the night or the frequency. If the frequency is you're going multiple times within an hour, then you probably drunk way too much water. Yep, yep. Well, thank you so much, Pedro. I really appreciate you sharing with us in early the advice but also practical takeaways that athletes and coaches can apply and, and support staff is there anything you'd like to wrap up that topic in terms of periodization that we haven't touched i on? think it's just really important for like dietitians is if you're going to do periodization well for an individual athlete or 
a team, you actually need to understand what the SNC's goals are and understand their programming and what they're trying. So you also need to, that needs to be a really strong relationship and you need to be able to ask those questions and inquire. And also, I think if you have the background of understanding a little bit about the physiology and the actual programming, then that helps as well. But then also, there's often a component that's taken by the coach. So you need to understand what the, the coach is working on as well. If they're working on a skill technique or they want them to be under fatigue for a couple of sessions. And, you know, so I think as a dietitian, those relationships are really important and you need to have a really good knowledge of the goals of the the training programs and keep on inquiring and keep on because SNC is not going to remember to, oh, I've got to tell Peter that so-and-so's programs changed. You know, you, you need to be on top of that. Yeah. yeah. How, would you, how would you go about doing that? Is that email? I, I annoy them. I annoy them. Some, some SNCs are amazing. Like, I don't know if you've had Nick Poulos on, like, oh, gosh, his periodization plans are, you know, the best and most detailed I'd ever seen. And then he would email them in advance and I was then able to utilize that to plan my nutrition strategies. So, you know, sometimes you've got amazing SNCs that are super organized and you can therefore clearly see or if it's often or I'm asking questions, annoying questions all the time or actually going to see the sessions when you can, which really helped with sevens, which is, you know, a sport like no others, like to actually see as many sessions and the intensity that they train at. And then also sometimes I'm annoying and I ask like the the gym SNCs if I can try one of their programs so I get an idea of the energy, you know, required and output of it. So yeah, just be annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. And that's, oh, you care. <laughs> The Mick Paulos, in terms of like for SNCs listening in, like, and you mentioned you're quite visual. Does he give you like graphs on high weeks, low weeks, or is it how, how, oh, yeah. how do you? Yeah, and all planned out in Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm very visual. So as far as a getting information, also sevens. I've worked with him sevens and then GWS briefly as well. Yeah, I mean sevens was really challenging because we also had tournaments. So I think as far as his periodization, it was probably a, a, is it is quite a complicated sport to periodize for if you're doing it correctly. So yeah, having that information in advance is really helpful. Or like working with like Watsy with sprinters or decathletes, I'll get him to write up on the board <laughs> like so I can see it. <laughs> take a picture of it and then I can go make sure their nutrition plans match. But yeah, I, I am visual. That's why if I, yeah, can't figure it out. That's why with the gym stuff, you know, it's just numbers and it is, I prefer to actually just try it or if I can't go and see a session. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just, I just annoy the SNCs. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. It's a, it's a good way for SNCs to sort of yeah, understand how we can help as well. But then, like you mentioned, it's sort of two-way street, so we can provide information and give a heads up. And then for us, for dietitians that are listening, if the SNC is not doing that, then you can sort of probe them. Going back to the whiteboard sessions, what what what's most helpful to be on that whiteboard in terms of is it case that the athlete is covering per week? Is it high-speed meters? Or is it more just a general, this is a high week, this is a low week, this is a medium week? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that and then the individual days. I suppose with individual athletes, you more like to really work on that micro cycle. So making sure you're getting every single day correct to match the training for each day. So definitely, but that's where, you know, in SNC, the high speed meters, the volume. Um, and then where what sometimes is, is then the questions are around like technical sessions so that they might have, it might have a 
speed session down and there's a speed, it's just a tech session and it's really low volume. So that's why you have to be comfortable in asking all those annoying questions so you actually know what the athlete's doing because it's just, especially when, you know, you're consulting to multiple teams, you just can't physically see all of, all of the sessions going on. But that is the best thing about when you actually do get to work with, you know, one team that you can spend the time to really understand. Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense. Very good. And if, if anyone has any follow-up questions on the specific periodization side of things, is there a best place to get in contact in terms of socials or is it email? Definitely not email. My email is just really just a socials. It's on Instagram. Um, yep. And I'm very much used to athletes and questions coming through there. I might not always get to them, but I, I try to eventually. But that's how athletes communicate these days too. God, how things have changed. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And what about in your work lives? Have you got have you got a, like a pet peeve or anything that sort of fires you up in the industry or on so the job? Many. So many. Oh gosh. So no. I think one from the athlete's perspective, I get really frustrated with I forgot. I forgot to eat because I I think that's a cop out once I've been educated. So, but then I also see that as a signal for myself to ask additional questions. So, is it is it no food in the house or is it like laziness? You know, so actually breaking that down and figuring out why, like, no one just forgets, you know, oh, I forgot my pre-training snack. You've known you train, you know, every single day or every Monday, you know, so I just, I just, I don't really have a great tolerance for that, but then I, I do try and use it as a, a, a trigger to dive a bit deeper. So yeah, I hate that. I just don't understand how people can forget to eat. Maybe that's because I've always been like, needed every little bit of help I can get to get through training programs. So I'd never forget to eat. But no, I think no other real pet peeves. Yeah, I know there's lots of SNCs that call us nutritionists rather than dietitians to get us to riled up, but I'm old now. That doesn't that doesn't work on me anymore. I don't care. <laughs> uh, that's good. That's a good one. I don't think any of the dietitians have actually mentioned that one, but it's... Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, that noise. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm definitely aware of it. I've, yeah. I've probably made the mistake a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Get spies. It's fair enough. It, it's probably you, you could get us back with calling us personal trainers. We're glorious. Yes, yeah. Don't worry, I do that. I'm like, what do you do? Count to twelve. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And often we don't get that right either. <laughs> uh, what, what, what's your favorite way of spending your day off when you get one? I have toddlers, so I don't get one. No, a good day is actually just getting to do some exercise and not having to cook. And someone else cooking for me is a big win. And look, I I do love watching sport. So yeah, I um I think my favorite time of the week is Friday night footy with some pizza and wine, if I'm completely honest. And footy's rugby or AFL? Yeah, league. League. I mean, I like I watch AFL as well, but I definitely like the league. I like rugby and yeah, I, I do watch it all. I watch a good AFL game. I don't know. I think that's if it's the team I'm interested in, I'll definitely watch AFL game. AFL's so much better live than on TV, I think. League is league is still probably, a, I think, a better product on TV. Origin, obviously. Yeah. And then I think it's really it's really great that now we're seeing some women's on TV. Like, how cool is that, that my kids are growing up thinking footy is women or men playing it on TV. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, you walk around the parks these days and, yeah. Everyone's everyone's playing ball sports. It's great. Yeah. What about great. what about like we're in May, so sort of nearly in the middle part of 2023. What's sort of on the horizon for you? What are you most excited about? 
Uh, I think everything in the Institute is already geared towards 2024 Olympics. So it's hard to, you know, we've still got world champs with athletics coming up, but I still think that's just like a, a segue to the Olympics next year. I'm pretty excited about the origin season. I think it's going to be a cracker this year. And also the NRLW season coming up at the back end of the year with all the games televised. Like, I just think that's a really big step. And I can see already the athletes like that I've worked with and the ones that I think the quality is, is going to up it again. So I think that's pretty exciting to see what happens there. And then I suppose that leads into the AFLW, which is, is improving as well. But, yeah, I think the women's sport is pretty exciting. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of momentum and traction and development in that space and, and both in numbers but also in the entertainment side of things. Is With the date of origin, like how does that sort of work? Do you liaise with each team's dietitian and talk us about the sort of logistics of it? So I do in the sense of just making sure that they, they're ready, you know, coming into camp and if there's any individual things they need, I always email the dietitians in theory you know, the messages get to the dietitian sometimes via the managers, but it's pretty hard because sometimes they might play and then go straight into camp. So it's really tight turnaround. Other than that, it's a lot of food service provision for the camps and making sure, you know, they do lots of visits and community visits and trainings in different locations. So it is a lot of food service and logistics to make sure the athletes are getting really good nutrition because it is quite a big taper going into a really big game. You know, so it, it's, I think that's where nutrition in origin has a really important role to make sure that athletes are feeling good because you kind of, you have to table them to go into such a, so, such a big, a big game. Absolutely. Well, yeah, thank you again. And, and for all those listened in, if you tuned in halfway, make sure to listen to the very start. There was no mucking around and we got straight into the good stuff. So you can watch this on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we'll release it on our podcast next week on Wednesday and our next live chat is with Susie Russell we talk about cognitive fatigue that'll be on the 18th of May at 3pm Australian Standard Time so we'll add Peter's Instagram link as well in the show notes so I don't know if you're listening in driving feel free to click the link whenever you pop the car but thanks again Peter really appreciate you coming on no thanks for having me Jack if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you the Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane and I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah.
Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering, what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to, be, to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever, as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things Mm -hmm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear Fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.